are coming from inside the podcast, an exploration of the human side of horror. Each week we call a unique guest and ask them about one horror movie that left its mark on them. Together we do a deep dive into our guest's personal connection to find out what horror feels like. I'm Kevin Sparrow and in this episode we're following up on our queering of body horror coverage that began with Tetsuo by covering David Cronenberg's 1996 film Crash. All right. Today we have a very special guest, my partner, G Young. G is a writer and artist who draws a lot of weird bodies. So I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to make him watch Crash, uh, which has a lot of <laughs> weird bodies doing weird things. Let's see how it went. Is it weird? I think so. You didn't think it was weird? I mean, not really. It's people in medical conditions, I guess. Well, some people would say that's a weird thing just because it's not the norm uh, of human, like a human body or a human condition, which I think is what's interesting about it and why we're going to have that conversation about is this a horror movie or not? I'll get into why I think it is. But it, it is a conversation that like starts at that movie with like the medicalizing of the bodies. I think if you're in middle school and you're into this uh, fetishizing the stitches, and you can definitely call yourself a weirdo. But if you are just broke your knee and you have some stitches and you walk around, potentially you won't want other people to call you that's a weird body. You think this is a middle school film? I think there need to be a line. I think middle school is uh, the time people have a lot of sex drives, and uh, you can have, uh, you can masturbate five times a day. It's I think it fit into the general scene of this movie pretty well. Okay, yeah, masturbation and auto erotic sexuality non-procreative sexuality is really important to this movie so kind of the next question that i was going to ask just the next question both questioning its role like is this a horror movie also is it a queer film right is there queerness in this film i guess i wanted to take a scope back like do you as a viewer think about queerness when watching films or do you try to find queer readings in films or only if like the text of the film is suggesting could you articulate queerness Queerness? Yeah, I guess for me, uh, part of it is identity, right? If you're someone in the LGBTQIA spectrum, identity confers a certain queerness. But I also think of it in the sense of, you know, alternates to just a standard, like, heterosexist or assumed heterosexuality, right? Conditioned heterosexuality. So at opposition to that, whatever it is, right? So it can be queerness uh through a certain identity or queerness against a homogenized hetero identity do you put that reading because like as a watcher i put that reading on most films or a lot of films i mean the movie itself is definitely from definitely not from a queer perspective there is homoerotic scenes in the film but 
uh, it feels coming from a straight male lens mm -hmm. of imagining, or maybe to them it's a daring thing to put on film. That's how I describe this movie. It's like you make every scene looks very essential and every uh, human body encounters erotic. So it is naturally to see that, uh, what is his name? Uh, that guy started the cult. Vaughn. Vaughn. When Vaughn first met that blonde guy in hospital and I guess super close and watched the stitches, you know, as a character with like who Vaughn is, and they went to see uh, the performance Vaughn put out. He and the other driver drove together on this almost like a death ride. Mm -hmm. The tension was definitely put up there. Um, so you feel like there is a tension to Vaughn and James's interactions, but also a tension to the performance art? But back to the queerness question, uh, I would say there is homoerotic suggestions and scenes, uh, even for <laughs> the last like dip of the lesbian, the lesbian tryst and the destroyed <laughs> car. Yeah, I mean, but like that, like that is not there for like you know showing that you talk the sexuality generally is more like for the spectacle uh and to serve those mm -hmm. needs for like you know yeah like two women doing it as well i don't think it's doing that at all that's uh, interesting to me like they definitely gabrielle and helen who you're talking about here definitely have a sexual relationship um this is not like a main thread of the movie so uh, I do I do see what you're saying. I feel like because of the way this movie is set up, it kind of collapses all of that. It collapses homoeroticism and heteroeroticism, which we don't necessarily call general eroticism. We don't call it heteroeroticism, but maybe we should. There's if a there's a homoeroticism there. and we're going to use that term, I think hetero should be in part of the conversation. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying that that's not if people would just call that eroticism or erotic, whatever, erotica. But that's what I think is interesting. And that's why I think it is a bit queerer than that. It's not it's from a straight man. But Cronenberg, as a filmmaker from his very early films, has always been interested in queerness. I think for him, it seems to come from an outside perspective. But he's kind of worked with queer actors and kind of presenting them as these figures that are, are weird or sometimes that disrupt the kind of straight-laced nature of, of the other characters in the film or sometimes they're integrated like with his first feature shivers they're integrated in this weird sex slug cult along with everyone else they're not separate from it right and i think that's the case here too and it's queer even beyond that because i feel like gender doesn't really matter for the characters in this film mostly if you can get aroused by car crush i think gender is the last thing you will think about right which i like that they don't gender the cars the cars are gender neutral whereas in real life sometimes people gender their cars and it's very strange to me so all the cars like the significant cars are cars of a famous crush or like an accident yeah um so the car is still the object it's not being personalized uh compared to how we see in everyday life people name their vehicles 
especially the boats, <laughs> uh, a female name or uh, the name of her significant other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't even name the cars, which is an interesting thing when they're the erotic object. You generally think of like a lover or someone of it. You should. No, it's the car crush. Mm-hmm. It's erotic, not the car itself. Right, but that's true. Well, I guess that's that's what's interesting to me, right? There's a comparison mm-hmm. to like the body of a car, the body of a person, right? Because crash, as we know, the, one of the reviews says sex and car crashes, right? That's the review, and that's what the film is. So this movie definitely has an underpinning of trying to compare a human form to a car form, and both are, in a sense, depersonalized, right? So that the, like you said, the car is a fetish object because it's really the crash, it's the impact that is the sexual thrill. And that's the same how the sex scenes and how the sex is used, right? It's really about the moment of sexual impact that is important to these characters, not who they're doing it with. And there's a divorcedness from their intimacy, right? You can be at that most intimate place with someone sexually and and really have a gulf emotionally maybe we can try to read one particular scene in the film well too. we're gonna get to the scenes mm-hmm. are you gonna lead walk the, me through the scene oh you kind of leave the car now okay. no i wanted to use those kind of examples you are the driver are overall yeah i'm trying to drive let me drive <laughs> into a ditch uh, and flip over and lay sensually in the grass <laughs> and then you'll come over i'm calling i'm gonna call the police or the, am- <laughs> the ambulance you wouldn't come Try to get me out of the car, even? Uh, Not erotically, just like if you don't want to try to save me yourself. If that happened and you don't have medical background and don't touch a person in an extreme condition, that might add to more concussion to that body and Mm. not save the person. Oh, you took that question seriously. Life notes. (laughs) But... That's kind of the queerness uh, of it, or like questioning what's queer about it. I also wanted to start us off, so as we think through different scenes, like the horror movie aspect of it, because I I said it was kind of a a question up in the air, is this a Mm -hmm. horror movie? And you watching it, did you feel like it was, you would classify it as a horror movie or not? I mean, I get into horror movie because of you, and uh, seems there's a nuance of how people see what is a horror movie and what is not. So I won't be the person uh, to define whether this is a horror movie or not. I would be more comfortable to say, like, if there are criteria we can hit, then um, those, those criteria will qualify moving to a horror movie or not. I, I think it's much, uh, I can't answer those questions. Well, we did watch the Criterion Collection version of it. It meets their criteria. Do um, they call it a horror movie? And certain people have. So in some of the essays that we might talk about, do kind of touch on it as a horror film. Some of it's classified as a horror film just because of Cronenberg's body of work is predominantly horror up to this point. In the 90s, he started moving away from strictly horror and had more of these adaptations, um, which Crash is as well. Crash is an adaptation of J.G. Ballard's novel from the early 1970s. And 
as we watched the Cannes uh, kind of film festival press conference, he's on the panel with them. He loves this movie. So I'm glad that the author really appreciated <laughs> what, what was done with the film and had a lot to say and, and felt like it represented, it represented the book well and took it beyond some of his intention. And this ties into our movie from earlier in our first part of this episode, Tetsuo, because... J.G. Ballard's work is kind of considered one of the precursors of cyberpunk, which was a writing form in the, you know, late 70s, Mm -hmm. early 80s that kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. took that aesthetic of like the future and like metal merging with human, which is what the Japanese films that kind of came from Tetsuo and afterwards Mm -hmm. were doing. Right. So these movies are also intertwined in this way. And so I think because it's intertwined into the sci-fi realm, it does at least attach itself. And mm-hmm. that attachment itself maybe makes it a horror movie, right? Like it's doing body horror work, right? There is imagery in this movie, whether you personally feel a disgust towards it or not, that is meant to involve a visceral response. And that's kind of what I wanted to connect it to. This is... For me, I don't think of horror as just like a scare factory or horror just as getting you to fear necessarily. Horror can also be about presenting something that is abject. Um, And when I talk about the abject, I'm kind of talking about this from Julia Kristeva's idea of the abject, which she wrote about fully in, uh, you know, the 1980s, The Powers of Horror, this book length. Mm -hmm. examination of the abject as an idea Mm -hmm. and the abject right is going against the norms right it's bodily difference so often coming from right a woman's point of view in this case right a lot of what naturally occurs to women's bodies is seen as abject if you present it in like a public way Mm -hmm. so it's it, it can be things that we shouldn't like talk about in public or things that kind of can be creepy or discomforting or weird about our bodies that we don't put out there so i think the body centeredness of it and the specific extremes that are happening to bodies in this films make it a horror film in the abject sense for me that's my point of view i i think for those kind of research because it needs to based on movie are already considered horror movies and draw conclusions you know, to reading to their like the scenes and like uh, trying to draw conclusions from the message those movie mm-hmm. trying to get, then to move on to uh, the deep readings of uh, what is you know what you describe as uh, how an uh, inadequate body was considered as a horror or a female body showing a certain parts of the female body was considered as part of that genre. Uh, I mean, I totally agree with that, um, but I don't think if you use the, those kind of readings to back to justify a movie, whether that's horror or not, I think it's not how those research works. But mm-hmm. this for this particular movie itself, if the uh, the body of work from that director is mostly horror, um, he's definitely trying to do something different. Yeah, he is. I, I think Crash is, I don't know, for me, I personally love it. I have a strong history with Cronenberg's work and studying it. So it's one of those movies where it's, for me, it's a very pinnacle. It's it's very, Pinnacle? It's very unique in his work. It's my favorite Cronenberg film, like, as we all know. It's very unique in a lot of ways, 
because of how extricated from plot it is, but it's also very representative, I think, of a, a lot of his interests and preoccupations and filtered through someone else's kind of story, filtered through J.G. Ballard's story. It's, I don't know, it kind of brings everything that he's concerned with to the surface and cuts all the fat. <laughs> Unnecessary story beats, things that he's not interested in. Like, have you ever read the book? I have not read the book. And that's okay. I feel mm-hmm. okay with it. Mm-hmm. You are not, because you love the movie so much, you don't feel you want to read the book. Yeah, I feel like so connected to this movie and and what it's doing that I'm not afraid of reading the book. It just is, I've had the experience with this story, but I feel like the book is probably going to be doing different things too. I think so, because the experience is mostly visual. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a very Mm -hmm. like visual image oriented film Mm -hmm. so let's get into some of those images but i just kind of wanted to walk through some of the starting imagery talk about what it's showing to us what is it representative of what is cronenberg trying to do here um because i feel like a lot of people either maybe might be turned off by it and that's not in a punning way i just mean like might walk out in the yeah in the 1996 Cannes film festival where it got a special jury award that francis ford coppola the mm-hmm. jury president didn't even want to hand out he was so kind of disgusted by the film how old is he who francis ford mm-hmm. coppola at the time i don't know he was probably in his 50s not a middle schooler not a middle schooler no um a middle schooler so would be rushed to give the award yes uh, the 14 year olds out there would probably love this movie maybe they shouldn't be watching it but mm-hmm. that's another thing is the movie rating international? It's not. So the yeah, that's another thing. So to start, Europeans can do that. with right, right. <laughs> I think. Well, this is an interesting thing. So in the U.S., there was an NC-17 rating. It has an official NC-17 rating. That's the full like Cronenberg's vision cut that we watched, the hundred-minute one. Mm-hmm. Um, but an NC-17, especially in the '90s, meant that most theaters would not play your movie. They were not going to screen it. And so the distribution company, because it was a pretty big distribution company um, that picked it up at Cannes, wanted Cronenberg to make an R-rated cut. So you do have R-rated cut and the NC-17 cut out there. Mm -hmm. The NC-17 cut is the one to watch Mm because it does cut out a lot of... There's things that really uh, change the movie if they're taken out. Mm. And so... I mean, I think those kind of readings only have the traction to people cannot qualify to those readings. So, like, they'll be more excited to watch an R-rated movie when you're a middle schooler versus you're, like, at your 20s. Yeah, but I was going to say, would that be meaningful to you? Because you're someone who didn't grow up with the American rating system, so... I mean, you know, if I was uh, in China and I ha- if I have watched this film, I'd probably will find a DVD somewhere. Uh, there's like this uh, this legend guy who sells mostly DVDs have, I mean, most of these DVDs are not through like the proper channel. So it's like not mm-hmm. copyrights granted. But there's this dude uh, who is a legend in Beijing. And he used to sell a lot of DVDs in subway stations. And he was so knowledgeable and he remembered his audience, his patrons so well. So sometimes if you go to him a couple of times, he will recommend some film to you. And it's much better than all the algorithm out there. 
mm-hmm. will recommend the film to, to to people. And because of like you know, I, I guess China is now bound to copyright laws, so <laughs> uh, he he disappeared because uh, because what he did is kind of outlawed. But he himself as a character and like you know the business he represents and part of is generate I think the foundation of their movie fans in in China and I was fortunate to be part of uh, the latter years yeah and you have a lot of history with cinema there yeah I mean I worked for company uh, who are similar to the IMDB here it's IMDB plus or social media components so there's uh, it's embedded with forums and uh, fan clubs with that that like database and it's itself trying to invest in some films too so it's like streaming service plus social media plus movie database um i think the the company's not doing very well right now but <laughs> it has tried that's a story for another day so going through the plot line vaguely generally we're gonna skip around a lot but we kind of get a, a bunch of back-to-back <laughs> we're yeah. running out of time we're not running out of time i just don't push the to... gas I don't want to drive get, faster, Kevin. I'm driving. Work with me. Don't be a backseat driver. Be a front seat co-passenger, co-pilot. I don't think that <laughs> works. No. 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 You have like no like the training ones where you have like an extra set of like the gas and brake on your side. Oh, oh, I'm not definitely not gonna become the coach. No, no, no. no. Okay. Well, basically. How the movie starts is with these long after the credits sequence, which you felt was a little bit long. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's a Canadian. It's a and maybe it is. We start with these kind of static shots in this airplane hangar, kind of uh-huh. fetishistically gazing at all these airplane bodies until we come across Catherine Ballard. She's going nipples out on an airplane. It's kind of her thing, just taking one boob out, showing it off, pressing it against stuff. Uh, she does this a few times in the movie. and Not only her, though. Not only her, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to that in just a second. But that scene, she's kind of lifting up her skirt in her underwear. And this man approaches her and starts kissing on her bum. That's a thing. And then this cuts to a movie set where they're looking for James Ballard, and it cuts into his office where he's given analingus to this camera assistant lady. Who's really tanned. She's really tanned? Oh, yeah. except for her. You noticed G was really uh, she had concerned bikini with tan. her bikini tan, right? Like, very tan everywhere except, like, right over the nipple area. But this is really interesting how it... For me, it links sex, motorized vehicles, and film together all at once. And Cronenberg even kind of mentioned this in his talk at the press conference at Cannes that he was connecting the start of automobiles and the start of the cinema beginning around the same time, right? These are really turn of the century, turn of the 19th and the 20th century inventions, and that they both changed our understanding of time, space, and reality. So it's interesting how, like, to me, attentive it is, even in those first two scenes, collapsing all three of those interests at once, making it come back to that couple. Like, after we see them separately, then we see Catherine and James come back. We understand that they're married and they have kind of an open relationship where they can have sex however they want. 
and then have sex with each other after that. I would read Catherine more of a symbol, but James are a character. Mm. Yeah, mm. you you felt like Catherine's more just a symbolic or a you know model or a representation of something, and James is an actual character. Yeah, so of course Catherine gonna appear in the first scene and have this really performative way of inviting or like looking aroused. Mm-hmm. And have that you know have that sex scene, and the first thing of James are more like you know this is this dude like you know she set up trying to set up this character, so those are very different scenes because how the performativity of uh, the Catherine scene is. I think there's something interesting there, and we're gonna come back to Catherine because I I personally love her. I don't care if she's a symbol or an actual character. There's Something about the performance that Deborah Kara Unger is giving that's... She's great. Really is. It, something. It's got... And a lot of people have also mentioned this in their reviews. Like, there is something really special, powerful, um, really interesting about what she's doing. She has such, a, like, a desperate face. She has a very desperate... A, a restrained desperation. <laughs> it's that's what Ken loves. Ken loves a restrained desperation. I mean, That's a yeah. very French... Francophile, very thing. much. Yeah, <laughs> mm. I won't be surprised that they they got the, you know recognition through Ken. Oh yeah, we can't on a podcast. Unfortunately, we can't show our restrained desperation because it's all vocal. I mean, you need to search for it, and you will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> all right, everyone out there, go search restrained desperation, or just check out stills from the last thirty years of, of Can winners. But we kind of, right after this, get the first crash. James is searching through his kind of script notes, things that he needs to get while he's trying to get back to the movie set. He crashes into a car. Some old dude flies through his windshield. (laughs) And he looks over and sees Dr. Helen Remington in the driver's seat of the car across from him. And she's desperately trying to get her seatbelt off of her and uh, in that moment, rips open the left side of her jacket and blouse and exposes her breast. We get a lot of isolated boob action in this movie. Uh, it's a visual motif. It's not just, I mean, Catherine does this a number of times. Helen does it here. Helen does it later when she's having garage sex with James. And also, um, even Gabrielle, played by Rosanna Arquette, has this kind of fetishy suit right connected to her leg braces that oh, I mean, she, out over the leather, leather of her of her vest i mean she's a symbol to say this is a cyberpunk movie yeah yeah so i don't know if you did you think a lot about that or was it like curious to you about the, about what, the isolated boobs? boob thing because it is such an intentional motif i thought a lot about um how it's used in art that that sometimes that um, pulling one booba is about l- representing liberty, representing freedom. There's you know a lot of French revolutionary painting is about, no has a woman with a breast exposed. So as well be the absent of the bra, yeah. Versus you wearing a full like covered bra and took one boobs out. I mean, I would say, like, you know, it flashes through a certain kind of tension and struggle and would be revealed and being released. If you want to read into it, it can potentially can connect it to the seatbelts, which is uh, appear a couple of times through the movie. 
and to think about the restrictions that Seabelt mm-hmm. uh, suggests and, uh, you know, the, the freedom, the, the crush, uh, or maybe the speed and the crush, uh, and sex uh, bring people. Yeah, there's also, I wanted to connect it, like it brought me to that moment of like, how is it used in art as kind of liberation? But I also was reading this article um, called The Reshaping of the Human Body by My Modern Technology, which is a line in the movie, by Aaron Bergstrom for Bright Wild Dark Room. And it, this writer talks about how the film uses some of those moments of eroticism to disfigure the body. So some of it is looking at the body in parts, right? We're looking at, we're drawn to the breast as this isolated thing, or there's moments where in the film, we're only seeing people's parts of their bodies as they're being, you know, either they're getting into a sexual situation. Bergstrom in this article pulls out the part where Catherine and Vaughn are having sex in the backseat of the car. And part of it is shot. So they get cut off by the hood of the, the, uh, coming up i won't necessarily read through that perspective i understand um, it could be one of the readings but it won't be my predominant readings mm. into uh, those scenes yeah i don't know for me i read it as like the dark commentary on liberation but then you're having a different perspective and then there's also another interpretation of it yeah, I mean, you know, I would read uh, it is more like action versus if you're talking about part of the body and uh, the figuration of that imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would read it as a live imagery, like it's, it's a series of actions. Because it's a movie, it's not a painting. Right, exactly. Yeah. So we're going to come back to some other stuff here. But after this, James goes to the hospital with these gnarly leg wounds. He gets his own kind of metal brace that's all pinned into his leg and causes little, like, spots in his leg. He's really, like, I don't know, anal or vulvular. There is a glorified, like, a pan shot to show this leg in the aftermath or like you know the leg would be crafted oh, you mean the slow pan of yeah, his yeah, leg yeah 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 it's like yeah. the leg was being crafted into this like if, if someone might say abuse fight or edited mm-hmm. version who wants to see the original leg nobody <laughs> we only want to see this sexy banged up leg that's you know what people are here for like people here uh People are definitely not here to see just like the leg. It, they might come here to see the tanned, uh, broad tanned body, but not definitely not that dude's leg. Yeah. Well, and we are, as the audience, aren't the only ones. Vaughn is there too. And as we mentioned earlier, this is kind of where he meets James and gets very intrigued by him. He's like lingering sensually over his scars and his stitches. Vaughn's really like distracted by them when they're talking. And it kind of has that homoerotic, maybe in more of a subtextual way or in the way that Elias Coteus is playing it. But some of that is cut out in the R-rated version. That's another reason why they go with the NC-17 because the it's more subtextual in the R-rated cut versus the homoeroticism becomes like fully realized in the, in the full Cronenberg cut. And then we also learn right after that scene in the hospital, right that Vaughn is kind of also a car crash fetishist and this performance artist who puts on these reenactments of famous car crashes. And Dr. Remington takes James to see this one that's reenacting James Dean's car crash. 
I think he's more of a photographer and a collage artist versus a performance artist. He's a multimedia. He's got his hands in, in a bunch of different things. The reenactment is not for the, for the sake of the performance itself. It's mm. more of to uh, get the aftermath, to get the result. Uh, to do it in public. Right, which also ties into another kind of fetish or kink, right? Of like public. If we're really, I mean, if it's like the a, eroticism of the crashes, there's also the eroticism of doing it publicly, right? I mean, if it's like people do it, like car sex, it's kind of suggestive. Yes, there is public car sex throughout this movie as well, which I don't even spend that much time on. But that causes the lead driver to get a little bit woozy. He probably gets a concussion from doing that. Everyone else seems fine uh, in that in that crash reenactment, but then the police or Vaughn says they're the public transit authority come to kind of like shut down this situation with this reenactment uh, with a public audience, and so they all kind of run away. He and Seagrave talk about their plans to do the Jane Mansfield fatal car crash next. Seagrave wants tits out to here is a is a thing, and. It's there that James is able to kind of get a look at Vaughn's plans, his book of car crashes, and that's where Vaughn tells him, as the article we just cited borrows from, that his project is something we are all intimately involved in, the reshaping of the human body by modern technology, right? And I think as this is very interesting, you know, Cronenberg will always drop, I feel like, things that are directly from his mind into his scripts like this is this is kind of the takeaway i want the audience to have or i want to drop this in as a way to frame it so i can subvert it later perhaps reshaping the human body that's always been really fascinating to me i think it plays out in tetsuo as well that's why we kind of paired these two Uh films together right even more so right like that guy's body is actually really changing into this metal thing Uh in this movie it's more about can the impact uh, of the car crash on the human body be so great that it blends them together, it combines them, that it, that it makes a new form of car or industrial organ and human, right? And that we see that happen. Like there is a transmission between people. Like James gets that brace on his leg. Like he's starting to take it on. We see Gabrielle, who has her permanent braces, right? She has trouble moving without them. She gets caught on the seat of a car with it. So there's a lot that's kind of emphasizing that. And now, does that work out totally for Vaughn's idea? Do you feel like Vaughn truly is living towards that realization of the human body? Or is there something else? I guess, how did you take that like philosophy of, of this Vaughn is definitely the spectator of this cult, mm-hmm. if we call this a cult. I mean, it's just yeah, a club. Just, it's, <laughs> it's a club. It's a bit culty. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it feels so warm. Everyone like sitting around to watch the v- like the VHS, <laughs> you know, the car safety tests with videos. It's, it feels very much like a community. I'm not sure about uh, this woman. My married to the uh, one of the car drivers. She feels a little bit off, man. Like it was there just because of the relationship, mm-hmm. but not really enjoying uh, this uh, their behaviors because the movie itself is you know mostly delivers through visual imagery. Mm-hmm. Some of the contents or like the societal um, breaking downs. 
which I assume maybe it's potentially links to the audience who comes out to see their um, performance of the car crash and the Department of Transportation, and potentially their wife. Those you might be able to find more information about them in the book. But also, I'm kind of with you, sir. The movie itself kind of take the liberty of just rely on the essential part. Vaughn is not the person who have. He's not even crippled because most people. I think it went like showed、uh, those people went through a car crash and they're being crippling for quite a while. And it's becoming the signature of like you know they see themselves. Uh, they、mm-hmm. they see who are with them almost. You know, there's one scene. If you want to read it into it, I would interested to hear how you read. Yeah, which scene? Uh, there's a、uh, James and I don't remember her name. The 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 woman have a permanent prosthetic. Gabrielle. Gabrielle. James and Gabrielle went out to like this car store and to like look for a new car. It is a brand new vehicle, and Gabrielle starts to um pushing herself against the car. And、uh, the car salesman、uh, being invited、mm-hmm. in to do something. Then there's like moving around the prosthetics and eventually break the car. The car itself is quite unique in the whole movie because the car is brand new. It is not that unique. It's a pretty consumer, general consumer type of car. Yes, versus most of the car appeared in the scene. The significance and this particular kinds of car they're looking for, which connected to their、uh, sexual relationships. So I would like see like if is like what is the crushed vehicle in that scene? Is that Gabriel? Is the crushed vehicle in that scene, or if you read into something else there? Just within the part. Where they're in the showroom purchasing the car, you mean the car after? Yeah. So if all the sex scenes are either in or related to a crush the vehicles in the film,、mm-hmm. then that scene when they're in the showroom stand up, right? I mean, I think that's a really yeah, that is an intentional moment. What happens there feels very like Gabrielle is trying to goad the salesman. Right, like she's showing, this is what my body can do. Isn't that wild? Isn't that weird? Aren't you kind of turned off by a normie? So, like, yeah, like you said, she, her body's coming over there, so she has like that kind of most cyberpunk look and kind of maybe the most punk mentality in that sense. So, Gabrielle is a car, is a crushed yeah. car. Yeah, I think she's embodying it the most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like all all those people are the audience. Van James, the doctor, they are、uh, people who are being aroused by a car crash and a disfigured body、mm-hmm. in the car, and later the wife too. They're interested in like you know to look into this、uh, wounded body after a car crash, and they are. Get really excited about it. Yeah, the scars are exciting to them. Yeah, but I think Gabrielle is someone different in in that category. She is not only the spectator, but she is she becoming the object itself.、Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, because right after that scene is kind of a big... I know one of the main things I feel like people talk about if they like reference this film is, is the sex scene between James and Gabrielle where he pulls open her fish nets and finds her new leg wound vulva that, that he uh, promptly has sex with. But that's still the wound. It's still a wound, but it's, um, like you said, it's kind of an objectifying moment, right? She, we see her have pleasure with that, right? Like, it doesn't necessarily bother her or seem harmful to her that he is, like, so focused on and turned on by her wound. But it is, like, the, the result of the car crash. Like, she is the car crash, and he's turned on by thinking of it as that, that same thing. How related it is to the car crash, which is what turns them on. I mean, there's... If we call that a sex scene um, between the salesman and Gabriel, if that's a sex scene and the sex scene ends up with Gabriel's prosthetic breaking the car, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're sitting. If we read that as a crush, so it's Gabriel as a like cyber half, half machine. Uh, cyborg cyborgs breaking into another machine which is like this brand new car and that is uh, the ending of uh, the salesman uh, witnessing this crush mm-hmm. and like participating and in- enabling uh, this crush so in that sense they haven't run into a car which is not being driven Mm-hmm. So it has to be a person in the car. So like, you know, the person, like the car have to be, the car have to be uh, fulfilled um, by the flesh in it. That's why it's so exciting. And the, that's, that's what the sex drive is. And that also it's what Vaughn's photo journey, journal uh, records. It's always like, you know, the body uh, have sex in a vehicle in or mm-hmm. endangered vehicle right yeah well mm-hmm. just to pull that idea further out because yes we get that idea from Vaughn later on where he changes what he says which is about human body being reshaped with technology actually his project his motive is that he is trying to connect with sexual energy the release that happens in car crashes is kind of like a sexual energy for him and that's why he does the recreations of particularly famous sex symbols, right? Like James Dean, like Jane Mansfield, Grace Kelly, right? These are a lot of the people that they kind of focus on. So he's trying to connect to that sexual energy until it's like I won't hits trust. a pinnacle for him. No, I'm not saying I trust Vaughn necessarily with all, like it's all over the place, right? But the main thing is that even if his motives change or he lies about them or whatever, there is still the underpinning of the crash itself is the sexual act, right? That the car, that there is still a dominant and submissive partner. There's the car that crashes and the car that gets crashed into. We see this happen a few times. And there's a pursuit. I think it's really well exemplified by when Vaughn first chases Catherine. Catherine is in front of Vaughn on one of the roads and James is riding right next to them and Vaughn's chasing Catherine for a while and they pull into a gas station where kind of James cuts the pursuit off at that point and there is kind of this undercharge of sexuality to it of like this man wants to fuck my wife what's going on 
and he doesn't know if he wants to let him. And then that's also followed up by Catherine being like, his car is so hot. His scars are so hot. James, do you want to have sex with him? And then she's like, go, trying to goad him into having sex with Vaughn. It's very interesting. I mean, like one, I guess there's three things. Um, I find my not fit into the philosophy of like, if the sex happens during car and flesh merge together. Mm-hmm. One is uh, uh, James is riding the car through this car wash mm-hmm. uh, where uh, the wife and Devon was uh, have this really rough sex behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the wife laying, and right after that scene, uh, the wife laying bare naked on the bed and uh, James has sex with her and she, she tears up uh, during during that thing uh, mm-hmm. and that that is the first time her vagina was being showed on camera mm. it is it's like the the body uh is in a very i want to say in one sense sacrificial kind of posture she lay uh straight on the bed and is front naked and uh it's almost looked like she was on an altar. And yeah, it's a very invasive position for her body to be in. And being examined by the the husband. So, like, you know, I, I, I feel the car washing and that is uh, something stand out from the maybe other sex scenes. Uh, the other one is James drive Vaughn through her parking lot and Vaughn have hooked up with this hooker in the parking lot and uh, they had sex on the back seat while uh, James drive through in mm-hmm. the city. I think that's the three thing I can't remember which is like what so is happening. next the sex in the back seat. Like 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 what is happening there? It's like not uh, it's a little bit uh, it's it's a little bit norm core almost versus versus people get aroused uh mostly by car crush oh like there there's a more normative sexual like it's just sex some of it's maybe more rough some of it's but even that even in the normalized sex it is either rough rough beyond what one of the people wants or it's sex that's paid for right with a sex worker which is seen as i mean it is a pretty normal thing but it's not seen as normative or it's this kind of unpartnered sex right which is really interesting that's also kind of where i get the queer reading from it because all of the sex in the movie is pretty non-procreative right even though it's happening between cis male and cis female characters a lot it isn't with a goal of having a baby it isn't with any of that in mind it really is about them and their own needs and desires and that has like that can connect to queer people just because of like this idea that like queer sex is shameful or bad or is not right because it's not procreative so that's kind of like where i get like another aspect of queer don't wear a condom then yeah that too well then that's also part of it too is kind of where cronenberg's coming from right is looking at this kind of end of the new millennium right end of 
this century, right? So he made an earlier connection to the automobile and cinema starting at the end of the 19th and start of the 20th century. At the end of this century, the 20th century going into the 21st, there was a lot of fear of the world changing, of ending, of getting pulled into a digital age that was going to destroy us, right? That's why we had Y2K um, and this fear around what technology was going to do. And in the 80s and 90s, a lot of that technology was physicalized in movies like this and Tetsuo, right? Of like the technology was about like actual physical concrete things rather than digital ones. Um, I think the Matrix that came out a few years later changed, started changing how we visualized that. Could you read into when they mentioned, did you recognize, uh, I mean, that's a quote, uh, the doctor said, did you recognize there's more cars mm. uh, than before? Do you think there's more traffic? I feel there's like more there's tra- 10 times more traffic. Yeah. James earlier says to Catherine, his wife, there's like three times more traffic since I've had my accident. And then later, mm. uh, Dr. Helen Remington I have to say her full name. It's beautiful. Um, says the I Canadian. Like there's ten, ten who works at the immigration at airports. Yes, they both fit, felt like after their accident they saw so much more traffic on the road. There's more people out driving. Could you try to read into that? I, I mean, I think it's just a. I don't think it's an accurate reading. I don't think there is more cars or, or traffic just because they had their accident. They're just more attentive to it. I mean, it is such a... Sim- I think it's like an awakening. So like, if it wasn't presented in this movie or if we saw... Well, it is because it's not quite an awakening for both of them. It seems clear that Helen's already been kind of part of this cult or this fetish club. Like, she's already into car crashes. No. but Or she at least knows Vaughn, but she hasn't fully... I think maybe it. Vaughn approached her at the hospital too. After the thing. But yeah, but she gets in that car with him after the hospital with James. Because there's one thing uh, after James says she, he was able to go back to right driving. So she, he gave uh, the doctor a ride. Mm-hmm. And during that scene, James has so much problem with the, uh, the safety seat, mm-hmm. the safety belt in that scene. I think that's the thing about awakening. It's people file the restriction and trying to fight against it. I think that awakening might happen during uh, the first crash between James and the doctor and that mysterious man. You know, to pulling out the, the safety belt, which also revealed the breasts and the gaze she mm-hmm. had connected and locked with James. Like you know this this gesture of like the symbol of release, uh, the symbol of surviving almost to like get out of the crash, and uh, uh, the symbol of revealing part of your body, suggestion, suggesting an aroused and a sexual moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely, uh, I will read that as a awakening. Uh, the the person uh, is getting into another stage, you know. If you're thinking about cyber, or because this person is like uh, almost enlightened into another stage, so their enlightenment itself affects the physical world itself. Mm-hmm. So when they talk about the traffic, the traffic itself is is not like human in the car driving next to them 
but it's more out of this objective world around them, which I find like at the beginning. Uh, there's like we a got one. more cars to fuck. No, <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, I want to point out that scene when uh, James and the wife fucked at the deck when they're watching the traffic. Mm-hmm. I would suggest um, who has experience watching a highway traffic uh, from maybe a hotel. Those traffic, you don't see that as human um, driving cars through things, but you mm. see them as this symbol of uh, this industrialized, uh, not only industrialized, this concrete, even the the, the troublesome of the human state. Uh, like we are in this almost emotionless uh, and, uh, you know, moving things. So like, I, I, I think that might, I might read into that as a horror uh, in the film. Yeah, there's an underlying dread or an underlying fear, maybe from someone outside. It's not really felt necessarily by the characters in the film. In fact, the kind of apathy they feel is what leads to a lot of the death um, and danger for them, as we see. So, yes, there's, I think, a fear from the outside of being worried for for what that yes. lack of humanity can mean. So the crush is actually... The only way to gather freedom, to gather mm-hmm. humanness out of this, right? Because uh, if you read, like, if you watch the highway, the car are all moving the same speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's in sync, and everyone's like almost lost the humanity in those moves. So the crash becoming meaningful, right? Like mm-hmm. that is the 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 breaking, uh, just like cyber fight almost, cyber fight. Uh, lifestyle uh, breaking the robotic of this kind of like lifestyle mm-hmm. and the machine self is actually de- like damaged the machine self is damaged and consumed by the human flesh right so the f- human flesh itself taking on the human flesh back to the driving seat versus it is uh, the the machines are taking the lead Exactly, right. The machines are taking over in the way that, like I was saying, it's represented at that time through technology, physical technology, analog technology. But in some ways, other people have said this, I feel like maybe we could call it prophetic or not. I wouldn't use that word, but I think it is from the filmmaker thinking about the future. And we see that played out with technology in a different way where we as people get absorbed and extend our bodies through digital technologies, through digital communications. It's in a different format. It's a different thing. It's not fetish, but it is trying to get at that thing because I also don't think fetish and just representing it is what Cronenberg wants to do here. I think there is a message about losing humanity, about apathy, about dropping that emotionality. But that's also interesting to me as a viewer. Like I, I, Definitely like emotional stuff. I like a good, you know, film that wants to manipulate you into a good cry or a good scare or something. But I also like movies that are very, very formalistic, right? Where the emotion Mm -hmm. is dropped, but not where it's unemotional just because like that's kind of the filmmaker's style or aesthetic, but where that's like the actual driving 
force of it that's the movie itself, special to me the movie itself is uh there's a lot of symbols mm-hmm. um in in this movie and the movie itself is not lead by storylines it's it's leads through to reveal the puzzle of the symbols yeah um mm-hmm well, thinking of the symbols, we're coming up to the end because uh, we kind of touched on a lot of the other plot points, but I don't want to like draw it out. Are you running out of gas? No, I just want, I'm not running out of gas. Mm-hmm. You know who is? Who is? Catherine Ballard. Uh, <laughs> when her car <laughs> spills over the highway edge into a grassy area. But this end, ending shot, ending scene or sequence of the movie has always really stuck with me. Like I just always... That's like the first thing I picture when I picture this film and the leg wound and Vaughn and James having sex. So I'm like, oh, that's like a very pivotal moment. not really. I won't read that as a significant moment. Oh, interesting. But this last scene where James takes on basically Vaughn's persona, now that Vaughn's died, which happens, spoiler alert, James gets the crashed car out of impound. He repaints it a little bit to be like his old wrecked car, the red color. So it's this mix of the red and black color. So there's kind of this weird blend between him and Vaughn. And he's using that to, again, chase down Catherine in her little nice Porsche. She's always getting chased in. That causes her to crash just off the highway. She's like spilled out and she's kind of caught in between the car and the grass. Uh, she's laid out but alive and of course they have sex in this partially overturned car but you had some curiosity about that <laughs> like the way that she's positioned i guess or like she's splayed out in a model like pose right she's kind of posed out in the grass not like kind of naturally just fell out of a car it's like if you're trying to figure out whether this is it's a straight male lens or it is a female lens or it is a queer dance, that scene will definitely tell you that's a straight male lens. Yeah, but I, th- I still think there's something interesting and instructive, even if it is a straight male No, I, lens. I, I mean, it is not a critique. Or oh, no, like, I know. Yeah, or, or any sense. It's more of, um, like, when I, you know, while we're talking, I'm, I'm thinking through the, the meaning behind the crush itself. Uh, starting to make it sense mm-hmm. and the performativity of it. If you read that last crash at the ritual to complete, then body coming out of the car and to position in a certain uh, posture uh, becoming makes sense mm-hmm. because that's might even connected to when she lay naked on the bed. It is a ritual, because reading the, I guess I didn't really pick up on it until, but reading that article, it draws attention to the start of the film and the end of the film, where Catherine asks James when he comes home if he came, and he says no, and she says, maybe next time, maybe next time, and that's also what he says to her at the end of this film. Like, are you okay? He asks her, and she says, yeah, I'm fine. Um, And then the kind of ending line is maybe next time right indicating maybe next time i will die of this i mean i think it is an important part of it like even as a husband and wife there's no intimacy there beyond a physical level or it's intimacy or it's a queered intimacy right even for a heterosexual couple like that what makes them intimate is this very sterile clinical way of approaching sex 
I would say I think the wife are trying harder in this thing. Like it feels like because they're in the open relationship, but she's trying harder in like carrying or keeping that relationship to carrying James' feelings. Mm. Getting into what you're talking about, right, with the straight male lens, and you're saying not as a critique, but I would also say it's actually kind of important to look at it in that lens, too, because the way that he's, like, that male gaze lens of it is also important in how the film is structured. Um, I really liked, I watched the Siskel and Ebert short review of it from the 90s, they were very divided. Siskel, Gene Siskel, of course, hated it. And Roger Ebert really enjoyed it. It was like defending it. But, you know, our Chicago, I don't, I don't know if I would say faves, but they were our Chicago guys. <laughs> Do you know where they're buried? I don't know where they're buried. What a morbid idea. You want to go visit them? Maybe with cars. Maybe you want to go drive some cars. They definitely, their last sites. journey to the grave are with cars. Ooh. What a weird connection. You're creeping me out. Did that movie change something inside you? I guess we'll find out. But I I think how Roger Ebert summed up why he thought it was a valuable movie, I really enjoyed. And he tells Siskel directly that, you know, they're always battling it out, especially when they disagree on the show. But he says, Cronenberg's taking the form of a pornographic movie without the function or the content. He's substituting the car crashes to show the mechanism of human compulsion and obsession. I guess I I agree with that, though, because even though there is nudity, there is body parts, there is sex happening on screen. I mean, it's all simulated sex, right? It's not like pornographic in the sense that we're seeing real sex, but also that there is, I don't know how I would say, it's it's very frank sex, but it's not very erotic or, or sexy sex, I would say. Depending on who you are, I'm sure there are people who watch this movie and find it very erotic or arousing. Middle schoolers said that, and I find it's very... <laughs> well, yes. But I mean, people who've matured in their sexuality, maybe a little bit, may or may not find that that exciting. But whether you do or not, I guess whether you get aroused by it or not isn't really the point. The point is that it follows a form that's meant for arousal to subvert and, and play around with what the car crashes can do. I would say it's if you're out there trying to looking for a you know good sexing and erotic sexing are erotic and arouse could arouse you. I would say this movie can definitely do that. So it don't don't be turned off uh, by what Kevin said. These are you know not that erotic. They don't are. be turned on by what I said either. I mean, you are with yourself, so like you can do whatever you do. <laughs> Great. Well, I just wanted to wrap this part up first. Did How you can have... you wrap if you are driving? Do you have? I can pull into a driveway, a garage. I'm gonna pull up. We're uh, coming to our desk. We're coming to our destination. If you really want to play this game, I don't even play. know where I, I where I'm supposed to. Come. You're in the driver's seat too, unless we're in Britain. Uh, I mean, I'm not. Wait, oh, you are meaning like where? Where, how we're sitting, we're sitting side by side, but G's on the, I mean, if the, my left. Kevin have been the person who's driving, so I think we're in Britain right now. Or New Zealand, or anywhere that drives on that side of the road. But did you have any remaining questions 
or a thought that we didn't explore? I think one thing I have been thinking is, you know, movies are using sex scenes so often. And because like the sex, the, the sexual intercourse itself is so standing out and take up so much space. And it, I think it depends on how people's connection, if they can read uh, those, if they can read those things objectively. I was thinking, if I find this movie, uh, if when I was a middle schooler and I find a movie in one of those DVD stores and I bought back home. Just because I think there's sex scenes in it, how much destruction I will get because of the sex sexual um, scene itself from their their interesting puzzles, those symbols and the message behind the cyber, the crush, and the robotic movement, trying to break away from that. Did I form that into a question? It doesn't have to be a question. It could just be a thought. Yeah, what do you think? Like, do you do you feel do you, do you feel the sex thing are a distraction to or like to what level? Of I think they're essential. Even Cronenberg said in the press conference something that you're getting into, right? He said there was a a big danger of using sex in the way that he does in this because, film, yeah, because he thinks the normal way that sex is used in films is kind of the action, the plot of the film is happening, then it breaks for like the big sex scene or the whatever. And then it goes back to its platter's action. And in one way, he wanted to subvert that totally. He starts with three sex scenes in a row, basically, and it kind of continuously happens. It's always cyclical throughout the film. So this kind of idea that when is the film going to start? Well, the film's in some sense never starting. In some sense, it's always ongoing. Like the sex is the film. It doesn't separate out for it. We're not watching porn and then switching to cinema at some point is how I would phrase it. Like the sex is the essential part as much as the car crashes are, as much as this learning of these kind of weird car crash fetishists life. The actual imagery and engaging with that imagery is, is the point. So I wanted to wrap up the discussion of Crash <laughs> as we pull into our final destination. Are you ready? But going to the Criterion Collection essay, Wreck of the Century, written by Jessica Kiang, she wraps up all these different ideas and kind of some of the imagery and why Cronenberg put it out this way by saying, and I'm kind of paraphrasing and connecting a lot of different parts of this essay to like focus on the things that we talked about, but that in Crash, no one has a life story, past, or a single recognizable emotional response. Deborah Kara Unger plays Catherine as a series of precisely posed ice sculptures. The characters are scarcely more than ciphers on which to hang fetishistic detailing. What I disagree Crash's with that. most passionate advocates feel for the movie has never been love, soft, warm, fleeting, but fetish, a cold, deathless chromium fetish that will last forever. I disagree now you with can respond. that. I disagree with that. What do you disagree with in it? I, I like this. I don't know if it's like fully accurate for how I feel, but there's a lot that I really enjoy. She's not this. eye sculpture. Yeah. So People get distracted. Instead of it being about the concerns of a lack of humanity, that there is a very, it is a very human film. Yes. 
But you even said when we first, when I was like asking you about it, when we first watched it, you felt that that character was very not when objectified, was... very coldly presented. Um, I think the woman arm, like a pinup girl, uh, it's mm-hmm. it's a objectified uh, caricature. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think through this film, when we while we are doing this podcast, I changed my mind. Mm-hmm. I agree that it is a very human film. I think that there's something about living with your alienation and even you can't share that with people, right? It can be very upsetting. It can be very difficult and traumatizing. And even with someone that, you know, you're like very close to or your loved ones, you can't share everything that makes you feel isolated or alienated just because it's Sometimes it's inexplicable. Sometimes it's it could be this car crash fetish that you never even knew you had, and you can't talk about it because you don't know that it's there. It's, I don't. I'm not revealing anything. I don't have a car crash. Fetish. I, I mean, well, how do you feel about it now? Is Crash your favorite Cronenberg movie? I have never watched another <laughs> Cronenberg movie. So yes, I would recommend the movie. Uh, you should watch it. And you think about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that, that, that what is the danger of the sex thing and the fetish thing is because they are so empowered at the moment you seeing them. Uh, I think the good strategy is to watch it and the next day you think through it. Or maybe you watch it with some of your friends or your loved ones. Then the next day you start talking about what this thing's about. Watch it with your car. I don't think your car can watch. <laughs> uh, we haven't invented AI. Can't be a company through that way yet. Mm. This is also not the message of uh, the film. It is a flash consume the machine. It's not the machine consume the flash. It's the flash consume the machine? Yes, it is. Wow, that's quite a reading. What an interesting one to leave it off on. (laughs) Until next week, make sure to keep it queer and keep it creepy. Click. Did you hang up? No, I just said click.